Welcome to New World of Work, a podcast exploring the new frontier of the modern workforce. I'm Reese Black, Head of Workplace Design at Oyster, a global employment platform making it easier than ever to build a brilliant team on an international scale. On New World of Work, we'll hear from some of the world's best and brightest people and culture experts on cutting edge topics that people operations professionals need to hear today, all through a global lens. Join us as we navigate this new world of work together and learn more about each other along the way. Employee benefits are something that can make or break a workplace culture, employee engagement and retention. While benefits may be perceived to be stagnant by some, in today's world there are a huge variety of ways to optimise benefits for distributed workforces. That's what I chatted about with today's guest, Amy Sperling. Amy is the CEO and founder of Compt, an HR software that enables companies to provide personalised benefits for workforces around the world. We had a great discussion about the evolution of workplace benefits, why Compt is not a vendor marketplace by design, and how personalised benefits have changed the workplace forever. My name is Amy Sperling. I'm the founder and CEO of Compt. We've been building Compt now for a little over five years, or five and a half years, I guess. Uh, prior to starting Compt, I was the the CFO and the COO of numerous other tech companies, so spent a lot of time managing finance and HR in those companies, so we figured out how to build them, scale them, a bunch of them exited, you know, but going through that entire process. So, um, as you said, you've had a variety of roles in your career so far uh, in in various different types of companies. Um, What were some of the pain points that you saw in those companies that uh, made you want to start Compt? So it was interesting. The reason I wanted to start Compt was a pretty consistent pattern and trajectory that I saw through my six prior companies, and it just kept getting worse and worse. So all my prior roles, I managed finance and HR, so sitting on both the budget side and the the human people side of things. Uh, and over time, you know, the shift from hey, we need to negotiate salaries, and that's how we get the best talent and retain folks, shifted pretty dramatically as that became. You know, competitive salaries became the norm, which was great. And I think that's a fantastic thing for everyone because there's a lot more transparency for candidates, all the things. But that meant that companies had to find other ways to compete for talent and to retain the folks that they had. And that's where employee perks came onto the scene, you know, probably 15-ish years ago, and then exploded. And there was an app for everything. And everybody was trying to sell through HR. And my HR teams were getting crushed with, you know, the constant barrage of folks trying to sell them the cool new thing. And I just, I saw the frustration on the team. I saw the frustration with the employees who weren't getting the things that mattered to them and said, all right, I need a tool to make this easier. So I was looking around waiting for the tool to show up and it didn't. And so finally I was like, well, I need this tool to scale my next company. So I guess, I guess I go build it. I guess that's what we do now. Um, And so decided to do that a little over five years ago. So you, you've had a journey to this point, uh, and as you said, you've had various roles that, that led you to start Comp. Um, if you could distill down your your career uh, into an, an elevator pitch, what, what would you say is the overarching mission of your career? The overarching mission, I would say, is really about getting equitable compensation and making for more diverse, inclusive tech companies. 
So making sure that there is a place for everyone at that table. Technology is part of everything we do, no matter what your job is, no matter who you are. Technology is part of our lives, but for too long it's been built by one group of people. So it doesn't reflect the environment of the folks that it's serving. And so it's been really important to me throughout my entire career to try and build more inclusive, diverse tech teams because I think you build better products that way. And so that has been a progression um, through each of my roles, you know, CFO, COO, and now CEO, to try and help, you know, support that and create an environment where that's possible. Fantastic. Interesting. And and how would you say that comp connects to to that mission? How How do you think that? or benefits and perks are, are kind of like integral to that? So I think there's there's a couple of pieces. I talk about this all the time with the team. There's the what we're building and then there's the how we're building it. And I think both are equally important. The what we're building is making sure that we're building, a you know, essentially a compensation tool. You know, it is in the employee perk space. It's looking at lifestyle benefits, you know, employee perk stipends, but making that to where everyone has access. So for instance, family benefits, those can actually impact literally every single person. Every person has a family, but not every person has children. Not every person is going through fertility issues. Not every person has a pet. You know, every family comes in different sizes and shapes, but you should be able to support that if that's part of your mission. So making sure that those benefits are inclusive, no matter where you are in your life journey, who you are, where you live, all those things. That's the what we build. The how we build informs that. So making sure that we have a diverse group of people around the table, different, you know, coming from different parts of the U.S., coming from different generations, uh, you know, we're 52 percent female, we're 36, 37 percent people of color, we're 19 percent LGBTQ. You need to have perspectives reflected that reflect the environment around us so that you build tech that relates to the people that we're serving. And that's really important to us as well. I've got a question that's coming to my head, and I guess in some ways it's a little bit reductive, but I feel like it could potentially have some some interesting answers as well. Is there a benefit or a perk that you are most excited about? Is there one that you could maybe even say that is is, is your favorite? Is there something that you uh, think has a, a big opportunity to, to to have impact on people and it's not quite there yet? Is there anything that you're particularly excited about you think yeah, is, is, is somewhat of a favorite that you're looking forward to to kind of putting out there to the world? So we think about them in broad strokes. It's it's never, we're not a vendor platform. We don't have a vendor marketplace very much by design because every employee wants and needs something different. So the way I think about it is what is a company trying to achieve? What are we trying to achieve? We use our own software here. Our team is very diverse, has all kinds of needs and wants. Uh, one of the things that I think is really beneficial to companies and is the most commonly used, you know, kind of across all industries is focusing on wellness. So what wellness means in different companies means different things. Some companies include physical wellness. Some include financial wellness as, as well as physical wellness. But really allowing for employee there to be a focus on, hey, my people need to be supported and they need to be, that we'll want them to be healthy. They show up more if they're healthy. Uh, and how do we support that? That to me is the one of the ones that has a great benefit for employees, but then also obviously employers as well. Um, but that's not a specific, hey, that's this gym benefit in this location. It's a much more broad strokes answer than I know you were probably looking at. Um, but quite intentionally, uh, every person wants something different. And it's more than just one thing. I'll give you an example. We, from our early days, got pushed to build a marketplace. Add vendors. It's going to make everyone happy. It'll make it easy. You know, HR will love it. People will love it. And I said, no, 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 no. Nobody wants that. 
let's we're not going to go that direction but we took a step back a couple of years ago and said all right what would that look like because we've got incredible employee engagement so normal employee perks get three to five percent engagement within a company so you bring in you know whether it's student loan forgiveness or pet insurance three to five percent of the team use it very low engagement on a per perk basis whereas with our platform and with stipends we've seen over 90 percent utilization for four straight years so very very high so we took a look and said all right 8700 people we pulled a sample and watched them for a year and said We've got this amazing engagement. How many different unique vendors did they use in that time period? Because that would be the marketplace we'd have to build. Guess how many different vendors they used in a one-year time period for 8,700 people? Very few, I would imagine. 27,000. There is no one perk that makes everyone happy. Every person on average wants three different things. You can't build that. You have to allow for personalization. You have to allow employees to make their own choices. You may want to guide it and say, we want to focus on wellness or family or remote work or whatever the thing is, but you have to allow employees to drive that if engagement is your goal. And if it's not your goal, then you're spending a lot of money on things that aren't actually driving your retention or attraction strategies. That's fascinating. That, that I, I really never would have expected that. And I, I'm also relating this back to just my own, when my own experience is using right. benefits platforms and these sorts of things. And now that you say it, yeah, maybe maybe that is along the same sort of lines that what you see at scale. Not unique in that all of us want something different. I mean, with our team, I see the same thing. If, you know, we've got some folks that are going to go use their wellness stipend for vitamins, others that are going to use it for hair care products, some that are using it for prenatal stuff. But, you know, use it in a variety of ways that relate to their individual lives. Enter with vendors that are local to them. We're distributed. We're in 20 states with our employees. You've got to be able to support vendors in their local market, which also is kind of exciting, too. You're supporting the community where these people are living instead of just saying, oh, well, we want to get something that reaches all of the U.S., so I'm going to go to a big box store and make, you know, Amazon their next trillion. No one cares. I mean, just to add a, a little anecdote ourselves from, from Oyster into that, the, the localization of benefits is something that we think a lot about. And, you know, we are on a real extreme end of that spectrum and that we are we're talking about localization of benefits across hundreds of countries around the world. Oh. Uh, and we know the complexity that comes into that, but we also know the, the, the need for that. We know that that is completely uh, essential to, to the, the, the people that use our platform. A hundred percent. And that's one I think the one of the benefits of having something like Oyster. So we we see even in smaller companies there, they have employees all over the world. So you may have a team of 20 and still have 10 people outside the U.S. That happens so much earlier now than it did 20 years ago because there's now ways to do that. Uh, you know, we're supporting employees. Um, the, the companies have employees in the U.S., but they've got employees in over 60 countries. No, these people are distributed everywhere. How do you have a wellness stipend in Canada, Argentina, the U.S., in India, have it be, you know, in local currency? How do you make sure that it applies to the local market? You know, if you were supplying, you know, hey, we use Planet Fitness. Well, I mean, that doesn't work outside the U.S. That doesn't work in a lot of cities in the U.S. You have to allow for that personalization, especially when you start crossing borders. Absolutely. Okay, I want to I want to zoom back out just a little bit. I, I love we're getting into the detail, but I think it's worth giving giving a little bit more context uh, around what we're talking about today. So, um, 
it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on what do you see as the role of benefits when it comes to the modern workplace? We've been through a lot of changes over the last few years, and I think that has uh, had significant impacts on the expectations of employees when it comes to benefits. Yeah, it's an interesting and very complicated question, as you know. When you start looking at the role of benefits for employees, it, it's, okay, first of all, what's your lens? Are you looking from a U.S. basis? Are you looking from other countries? Because there's different compulsory benefits when you start going outside the U.S. I think it's a really key component to the compensation stack overall. You need to have competitive salaries. First and foremost, doesn't matter where you are in the world or what you're comparing it to, it needs to be competitive for where those employees could go. If you don't have that, there is no role for benefits. You have to have that. If you're in a market where health insurance is not compulsory and given to employees and is an expectation, that I would say would be the next big ticket item that you need to solve for. So if you were in the U.S., for instance, in a tech company and you're offering a competitive salary and no health insurance, there's literally no amount of employee perks that's going to get that employee. You have to offer health insurance. And those are the two big ticket items. What's interesting is that it's actually the smallest piece of compensation that makes you the most competitive because those are now table stakes. Everybody's doing it. So how do you compete for talent? And that's where companies are looking at, all right, how do I create a bundle that is attractive to the group that I want to retain or that I want to attract to this team? And so you have to find a way to stand out. And, you know, it's not like we all suddenly have you know, massive margins and are massively profitable and can easily dump money at these things. Budgets are tight. So how do you do that in the most cost-effective way um, is something that companies have to think about. Yeah. I mean, on, on that point you just mentioned about cost-effective, I'd never actually thought about the point you just mentioned that the the, the deciding factor for a lot of people uh, joining a company might actually be the very smallest part of their overall total rewards package. It's also looking at, it, it tends to signal for what you believe in as a company. So we actually signed up a customer who had lost a really key candidate and they were so frustrated, but they didn't offer pet insurance. And the candidate was like, look, you clearly don't value pets here. And that's really important to me. It's mind blowing to me as a, you know, a, a senior executive in companies that you could lose a candidate by not having pet insurance. But that's what happens in the market. It's what signal are you sending to me about what's important to you, your culture, your company? And if that doesn't align with what I believe in, I'm going to go somewhere where it does. It's, it just shows just how brutally competitive it can be to to get the right person for your company. And that absolutely. these things, as you say, can be can be make or break. Thank Absolutely. I mean, we're seeing that up and down the food chain. So it's not just entry level jobs or, you know, mid tier jobs or senior executive. It's happening consistently. I was just talking to a company um, that a friend works for and they're hiring a senior HR leader who accepted the role and then took back their acceptance a week later because they had a better offer come through. And it wasn't about it wasn't about the cash because they're getting paid roughly the same in each. It's about, all right, what's the environment? Where's the best fit? Who's signaling that this is, you know, the type of flexibility that I want in my role? And they decided to go somewhere else. So I, I guess with that in mind, with the people leader that will be listening to this podcast and maybe maybe they've not put a lot of thought into their benefits and perks right now, maybe they feel like it needs a refresh, maybe it's not as uh, sort of modern or as forward thinking as, as they think it uh, needs to be. Maybe they have seen seen signs of this. Maybe maybe they have lost candidates, and this is something that that was mentioned. What what advice would you give to to to, to that person that's listening right now when it comes to you know moving the needle on employee engagement when and also new candidates that they're trying to attract? 
What we find most often is that, I, I mean, I have so much empathy for HR leaders. They are trying so hard to make sure that they meet the needs of everyone on the team. So it's it's actually pretty rare, even across industries, to find that there's not a lot of intention that's put behind thinking about lifestyle benefits, employee perks. The challenge has been that it's a, all right, what's the, what's the collection of things that I'm going to bring in, which again, gets that three to 5% utilization. And if you need three things for each employee, you can't scale that. So I think for HR leaders who are listening, who are trying to figure out how do I do this? How can I possibly add yet another thing? How do I, you know, move the needle on this? It's, it's taking a step back and thinking, all right, how do I do this the easy way? How do we make this easier for employees? How do I make this easier for myself? And focusing on the outcome of engagement rather than trying to read everyone's minds, which is what, unfortunately, HR has been tasked with. How do you make everybody happy? You know, what are the things that you, you're going to do for the team and putting them very much in a parental space, which is very unfair and it doesn't make a lot of sense. Taking a step back and saying, all right, my goal is engagement so that we can attract and retain people. How do we do that? Well, every person wants something different. How do I do that? And then go, keep going down that path. And eventually you're going to land at stipends, whether it's our software or other software, you do it in-house and try and do it on a spreadsheet. It's not fun. I tried it, but it is doable. It's finding a way to achieve that personalization because that's ultimately what moves the needle. There's nothing else that moves you up that engagement factor in the same way. Marketplaces are usually 30 to 40% engagement. Debit cards, you might get 50 to 60% engagement. If you want up a 90%, you start getting to 100, you have to move to stipends. I was really taken by Amy's point about the value of benefits in signaling a company's values and how important that can be to potential employees. When vying for competitive applicants, it's these little considerations like benefits that can be the deciding factor. Sometimes it's the smallest things that can make the biggest difference. Amy and the team at Compt are passionate about the value of personalization, but I was curious to hear her thoughts about stipends and if they can ever become counterproductive to business goals. So let's talk about stipends a little bit there. As you say, ultimate flexibility is when you, when you start to, to, to get to that stage. Um, to, to be able to meet such extreme levels of, of diversity uh, of needs when it comes to the workplace. Um, do you ever see a situation where um, what the employee wants is maybe actually different from what they need in r- relative to what actually will help the company, right? There, if there is complete flexibility, they could go spend their stipend at Starbucks. Sometimes we're our own worst enemy. Sometimes we might just actually use this for things that are not really moving the needle that much for the things that we initially wanted this for, for, for well-being, for happiness, for, you know, for the, the, the bigger picture things. And we can actually kind of squander it in a little bit of a way. I, I don't believe that I know better than employees or any other human what matters most to them and what's going to move the needle for them. So I, I take that kind of approach with this. But that said, you're not wrong in that it shouldn't just be a piggy bank. A piggy bank does not actually attract and retain employees. You have to have some guardrails in order to make it align with company culture. Because if if it's just a piggy bank and they can use it for literally anything, that's really no different than just putting the money on their paycheck. When does it just become another bit of salary? Exactly. 
And so if it's just a free-for-all piggy bank, that's ultimately what you're doing. That doesn't move your retention needle. What we find works really well is when, as a company, you say, hey, we want to support wellness. You this, this for anything that you deem as part of your wellness. Could be mental, physical, whatever. Or some companies say, hey, we only want this for physical wellness. That's okay, too. But allowing employees to personalize from there. That doesn't mean that they're going to go out, you know, if it's physical wellness and, uh, you know, buy... I don't know, cigarettes. That's not going to fit, right? I know who buys cigarettes anymore. But in theory, I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar business. Somebody is. But they're not going to do that. They're going to find something that relates to their physical wellness in that scenario. So it's putting just enough of a guardrail around it, creating just a tiny amount of friction so they have to interact. And it's usually on a quarterly basis. Months go by very, very quickly. Quarterly tends to be the best for both employees and employers. And you're still guiding behavior without prescribing behavior. You're not saying you need to go to this gym five days a week because that's what you should do. Well, what if you have a torn rotator cuff? Maybe that's a really dumb idea. Maybe it'd be much better for you to go walk and you need running shoes and you know walking shoes to do that. It's allowing employees to be adults, to be treated like adults who have you know physical autonomy and figure out with their healthcare professionals what makes the most sense for their wellness rather than a company dictating that which makes no sense, quite frankly. So it's, it's taking a little bit of a, a medium approach to kind of direction, setting that little sandbox, but then giving a lot of freedom to employees. I love it. So uh, something that I found interesting is on your website there, you use the, the, the term an environment of balance and belonging. Can, can you explain a little bit more about what, what you mean by that and also how that relates to benefits? Sure. So that's, that's a big piece of our mission and our value system here. Um, you know, our full mission statement is we believe in an environment of balance and belonging so that everyone can live their best lives. I like short. I don't have the mental capacity to have the 45, you know, tenets of our mission. Uh, balance and belonging to us really means a lot of different things. So balance looks at allowing employees to have balance in their own personal lives, whatever that means to them. Balance means different things to different people. It also means as a company, we focus on balance across the team, making sure that each department is resourced so that we're moving at the same speed at the same level. Uh, you know, everybody's got the right tools that they need, you know, at a certain level, all of those types of things. It's also looking at balance across the team from a diversity perspective and making sure we don't end up skewing too um, too much one direction or another, we want to make sure that all voices are heard around the table. Most folks are concerned about what their own mental health means. There's been more of a recognition of that uh, with the pandemic as people were put, a lot of folks were in isolation. A lot of folks were, you know, I I isolation was or was physical isolation in your apartment or it was just isolated from your community, but feeling like you were disconnected. Uh, and as that was happening, social media is ramping up, which is, you know, there's been lots of studies now about how that contributes to a sense of, you know, personal isolation. There's a lot of different ways you can support mental health. And we see both employees looking for that and employers as well, because they recognize if people are feeling incredibly burnt out, feeling a lot of anxiety, feeling a lot of stress that just continues to increase you're going to lose productivity as a company, but it's just also not good for humanity as a whole as well. People want to have that sense of calm um, in, in their day-to-day day, day lives. And so they're looking for ways to help support that. 
So again, thinking of the of the the person listening to the the podcast right now, again maybe there's someone that is doing a refresh of what they offer as a company. Maybe they've not really got much in place. Maybe it's a, fair, a fairly young company. I think if we were having this discussion a year ago, it would be a very different scenario to now, where companies are much more cost conscious. Uh, the 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 money to allocate to these kinds of things is much more hard to come by, and a lot of situations will be under much more scrutiny uh, now. It's very interesting that, of course, you can wear your CFO hat that you have previously had in the past. Um, to, to think about this, you know, the balance between you know, cost effectiveness and, and actually being able to provide something that, that people care about. What, what would you suggest to the to the people leader that's listening to this um, so that they can make sure that it is yeah, actually going to be valuable for the business? You're, 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 you're going to be able to partner with your finance team in a productive way. It's not going to be adversarial coming back to the sort of financial side of things versus the human side of things uh, to make that partnership work. I mean, so I was a CFO in 2008 and I was like the quintessential CFO in 2008. We cut everything because that's what we had to do then. That was, you know, there was also high unemployment. So we knew that hiring was not going to be a challenge when we were ready to come back. So it was survival mode. It's very different right now. Companies don't have a lot of cash to spend. They have to be very budget conscious but you still need to make sure that you retain the good folks you have. And if you do need to hire, even if it's just replacing folks, you know, over time, you need to be able to be competitive because it's just, it's a very different world out there. So as HR leaders are thinking about, all right, how do I approach this and partner with my CFO or my finance team, which is so critical in this environment. The best companies have HR and finance in lockstep is what we're seeing. Those groups are working hand in hand and are not adversarial. The companies where it's adversarial, one side or the other wins and the company suffers overall because you either are not going to have the cash runway or you're not going to have the people. Yeah, I agree. One thing that, that came into my mind just as you were talking, and it's it's not something I'd really thought about much until now, but I'm interested what you might think. Where does the hiring manager or the people manager come into all of this in terms of enabling them to... Uh, support their teams as best as possible when it comes to benefits and, and, and perks, understand what they actually need. Where, where would you say they fit into all of this? I mean, managers are the front line uh, when it comes to hearing what employees want, depending, again, on the size and stage of company. Sometimes people go straight to HR. Sometimes they're going to go to their manager, though. So I do think it's important for managers to just keep their ears open. But sometimes employees don't want to share that, too. An employee doesn't necessarily want to tell their manager, hey, I have mental health issues right now. I'm having a lot of anxiety and I could use some help with our benefits. A lot of times employees don't want to talk to their manager about that. I think the the easier path for those managers is to help support, you know, one, report back to HR. I'm struggling to retain people like this is what I'm hearing. Because they're on the ground and seeing where their stress points, they understand better than anybody who is at risk for leaving the organization or where maybe they need more resources to be able to do the work that they're being tasked with. They're going to be the hiring and retention kind of barometer that HR needs to hear from, because ultimately both of those cost a lot of money. HR needs to understand that um, to make sure that they've got strategies in place to support those managers. On the, the benefit side, you know, if an employee is sharing it with a manager, obviously it should be going back to HR. But more often than not, in my career, I have found that that's not where employees are very vocal and happy to tell HR when they don't like benefits is what I've found in my career. Like that's something that they know HR is responsible for and where the the, the buck ultimately stops. So I, I've 
I've yet to find a shy employee who doesn't want to tell HR about the benefits that they would love to see. Very true. I agree. So you mentioned that the space is moving fast. Five, 10 years ago, this never even really existed in the last, let's say, two to three years. It's went from a should have to a must have. What do you see coming down the line? What do you see in, in, in the work that you're doing? What's next? Or are you getting hints of it at least? For us, it's, it's a lot around scaling. So we see, obviously, a lot of adoption in the tech industry. This is where employee perks started out for a lot of companies. Um, and it's, it's in the changing and evolving market, especially as you know the VC funding environment has changed and companies are trying to sort that out. We're trying to help with a budget case on that side and support companies there. What we're actually seeing that's really interesting is so much more of a recognition and adoption of the concept of lifestyle benefits across other industries right now. And that's been fascinating. So industries that never had any employee perks, if you were lucky, they had short-term and long-term disability, which are you know two US-based insurance policies. Now we're starting to see where they're like, hey, that's not helping us attract anyone. That's not helping us retain anyone. We've got a really hard time doing this, unemployment, all the things. They're starting to get into these spaces and figure out, all right, what do we do here? And so it's industries that have never contemplated this going, we have to make a change. So things like construction, nursing, healthcare chains, it's it's a very interesting dynamic environment out there as a lot of folks are trying to sort out, right? How do I keep people that I need to keep? How do I hire people in this market um, when I don't have unlimited salaries? That's really interesting. I think it's very good for people in our industry to to get a little bit of a sense outside of the bubble a lot of the times. I think we don't quite realize how weird this little tech bubble is that we we operate within. Yeah, it's been it's been an interesting learning for us. I mean, so our our customer base is about fifty percent tech companies. So we've got a lot of folks that are not, you know, in tech that are are using our platform um and have for a long time. What we've been finding is that the hiring and retention problem, it's the same across every industry. This is not different. This is HR leaders in every industry are struggling with this. How they approach it and what tools they have access to are very, very different, though. Um, and just the what the, you know, the industry norms are are very, very different. Uh, we were working we're working with a, a railroad maintenance company up in Wisconsin. You know, about a third of their team is in a corporate office, uh, and some of them are remote, but they're basically working behind a desk. A third is a production, or two-thirds is a production room floor. They're not on laptops. They're not on computers. They didn't even have company email addresses. And so they're sitting there going, all right, we're struggling with retaining these folks. How are we going to do this? And so we put in a program in place and figured out how to do this. And they've had absolutely, I think they're at like 87% utilization. The team loves it. And it's had a huge impact on their ability to retain folks. And they're just focused on wellness. They're like, we want to put wellness in place. We want to support these people because we know they're on their feet all the time. Like, make sure that they have what they need. It's had a huge impact. So there's there's also this tech and just corporate office sitting behind a desk perspective that if you don't sit behind a desk, that you don't understand how technology works or that you aren't able to take advantage of these things. And that is absolutely just very ignorant, quite frankly, of, you know, folks sitting behind a desk. Everyone has, just about everybody has a smartphone in their pocket. People have technology. They may not be using a laptop for work. That's okay. That doesn't mean they don't want personalization, that they don't think about their wellness, that they don't think about their families. We all have the same basic human needs. And so it's it's kind of broadening our, our horizons a little bit and recognizing 
not everyone looks like, you know, a software engineer. You know, everybody, you can have a job where you're doing physical work, you know, working in and out of a truck all day uh, and still want to take care of your wellness and your family. And there's ways to do that. Um, and that's been very, very interesting and rewarding to see because you can have an impact for folks that never had an option before. That's fascinating. That's so interesting. I guess it comes back to the point you made at the very beginning around inclusivity. What differentiator for them as a company, right? To be right. one of the first first movers in that space. Like that's just right. going to make them infinitely more uh, attractive and, right. and, and more stable employers. And they're just going to have this massive gulf between them and their competitors. Exactly right. I mean, we're working with a farm in North Carolina where the farm workers have access to stipends. And again, it's focused on wellness. I mean, they never had access to things like that before. And now you have personalization. You've got the ability to support your wellness in the way that you want. It's a complete game changer for them because there wasn't the preconceived notion of, oh, I'm in a big you know, tech campus in Silicon Valley and there's a slide in the office and nap pods and every kind of kind bar in the office, which are delicious, by the way. But they aren't used to that. And so you can have a huge impact you know, at a different scale across the team and be a huge, huge differentiator in the market uh, when you're competing against folks that are still thinking about it in a much more old school way of, oh, well, we offered long-term disability. Doesn't that make you happy? You're like, only if I get severely injured. Like, that is not that is not something that is like, yeah, that's not making me super happy. I have to be very, very injured to take advantage of that benefit. I would prefer not to get injured. How do we work on my wellness instead so that I don't throw out my back and I can I can continue working for longer? Like that is more interesting to me. Really, really cool. Really interesting. So I, I want to ask uh, a question that we ask everyone that comes on the podcast, um, which is what is the best mistake you've ever made and why? Ooh, best mistake. I would say the best mistake that I made was prior to starting Compt, I tried... I, I knew I wanted this concept, but I tried building it in expense management software because it was like, that'll be easy enough. You need receipts to pay taxes and do all the things. Uh, and it was a massive mistake. I made a big fat tax mess. I frustrated my employees. I made my HR team angry. My finance team was not happy with me. It was a disaster. Uh, but it also showed me all the ways that you don't want to do this. Uh, because it just makes it so much more complicated. So it was an attempt, but it was a big fat fail. Uh, and I realized there had to be a different way to do this other than what was available in the market. And so that helped drive why we decided to start Compt because you know taxes are a big piece of how you manage this accurately and don't you know clobber your HR team. Love it. <laughs> Love a great big mistake to to put you on the right path. There were some very vocal people at that company who did not like what I did, and they were not wrong. Well, it, it, it takes it takes a lot of courage to, to own up to that and then to take those learnings and apply it in a positive way. I really enjoyed speaking with Amy about her experience building Compt and how businesses can create balanced, inclusive benefits plans. Here are some of my key takeaways from this episode. Personalization is key. Something that ran through our entire conversation was that allowing employees to choose how to use their benefits is what drives engagement. Personalization also means that employees can support local vendors and make the best decisions for their own well-being. 
PeopleOps and finance teams need to work together. If they are at odds, everyone will suffer. Creating great benefits plans means that these teams need to be communicating and creating a joint strategy. If not, there either won't be the funds or the people for the company to survive. Optimized benefits transcend industries. PeopleOps teams in a huge variety of industries, not just tech, are beginning to reevaluate their benefit strategy. Companies are increasingly realizing the importance and value of giving current and potential employees access to personalized benefits and stipends. Thank you for listening to New World of Work, the podcast exploring the new frontier of the modern workforce through an international lens. We hope this episode served to expand your horizons and open your mind to a new perspective. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so that we can reach more listeners. I'm your host, Reese Black. See you next time.